Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. We're going to get started with Arva. And Arva's going to do is help us do a recap. So if it's your first time being here, this is a great opportunity for you guys to understand or see, I guess, what we covered last week and what we'll be covering, um, I guess, tonight. I guess I forgot, Barbara, but anyway, you go and I'll, I'll flow with it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Calvin. So uh, welcome, everyone. And if you missed last week's show, you really missed a treat. It was... Um, it was a first. We did breakout rooms. We had different topics. We had some, some, uh, some, some interesting topics. We had some tame topics. And one of those tame topics that I want to take a look back on is the breakout room that we had for prayer and forgiveness. It was really an awesome conversation uh, for those who were able to join us. So. I wanted to just sort of tag um, Dr. Courtney and just for us to sort of have a conversation about some of the, the takeaways from that conversation. And I'll set it up to say that really it was a conversation a lot about forgiveness of self, which can be so, so hard. I mean, so hard. And um, one of the things that I think probably... Uh, stood out, you know, we're so hard on ourselves, whether it's for the things that we've done in the past ourselves or for things that have happened to us or were done to us, that trauma that, um, that we experience. And I think one of the big takeaways I had like eight, but you know, Calvin didn't tell me how long the segment is. So <clears throat> I don't think we'll be getting all eight. Hello, that'd be a show. Yeah, you have <laughs> um, but one of them. Uh, and I think it was, uh, Kim, who said this last week, I'm sorry, no, it, it was Dr. Courtney who said this last week. We talked about the room was about prayer and forgiveness. And I asked the question, what is the link between prayer and forgiveness? And Dr. Courtney, you said that the link between prayer and forgiveness is the level of honesty between you and the God that you serve. And I just thought that that was profound profound. Um, would you care to expound a little bit on, on, uh, on that statement? Because it, it's a whole lot. Um, absolutely. We did have an awesome time last week. Shout out to Arva and the group who uh, literally, really Arva just like pivot the whole conversation and we were just bouncing off of each other. But for the statement that she was making, you know, the level of honesty that we have with between ourselves and our maker is that um, because many of us, we really don't have, aren't really honest with ourselves from the day-to-day, -day, 
you know, situation is like, yeah, we put up on makeups. We, we live by, we, we live beyond masks. We live beyond mm -hmm. the stories that we write on uh, Facebook to give our perfected selves. But in reality, who are you behind the scenes when the cameras aren't on, you know, when the Zoom isn't going, you know, and it's just you and God. And That's so right. the level of honesty that, is, and the reality is many of us aren't really honest with God. Because of the fact that we're trying, we're we're trying to give him this perfected ideal of us. It's like God already knows how unperfected you are. How many like the Bible already says it already. You know, He already knows already the hairs on your head. He already knows how many teeth you already have or did not don't have or already had it pulled out. So the level of honesty He already knows even from the insides of your heart or what's not what's there, what's not there. So I mean, the level of honesty that you have and it shows through the, the and it even shows from, uh, it shows a new example of the level of transparency that you can have and the moment that you're allowed to uh, to express yourself in prayer. The deeper the prayer is, the more honest that you are with yourself and what you're going through and knowing the capability of who God is in your life. That is so awesome. true, Dr. Courtney. That is so true. And, um, you know, the level of honesty that we show in prayer uh, between us and God, it's not for him. Because just like you said, he already knows everything. It is for us. Just like forgiveness is for us. It's not for the other person. And taking it back to the uh, the idea of, of um you know, forgiving yourself, because that, that was a lot of what the conversation was last week. And one of the things that, that we said is that forgiveness is a two-way street, even when it's you who is forgiving you. So we're forgiving both, both our past self and also our future self. And I just thought that was so profound. You know what? Perfection is not the prize. Perfection is not the goal. Freedom is the goal. Freedom in your spirit and in your movement towards others. We all fall short. And uh, not only have people hurt us, but we have hurt others as well. So, you know, we started asking the question, and I think Effie brought this up last week when she said, what do you gain by holding on to unforgiveness, you know? living in a state of unforgiveness. I know you brought that up, Dr. Courtney, but the question really is, what do you forfeit by not forgiving? Because unforgiveness, as you so eloquently pointed out, Dr. Courtney, that's not even a word. That's not even a word. So why do we live in a state of unforgiveness? I'm telling y'all, y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. If you weren't there last week. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Well, the good news is I'm definitely going to try to get that um, submitted for the publication. So maybe they'll get a chance to listen to that um, in about uh, yeah, a couple weeks. So thank you, Arver, for helping us recap um, on last week. And, you know, in addition to... Um, that conversation, I was talking to Dr. Courtney and I discovered that she knew our guest speaker for the night, Margaret. And you know, and you guys went to divinity school, right? That is so awesome. So, you know, feel free to say hello, to say anything nice about 
you know, Miss Margaret, I'm just really excited that she's here and we're going to get started shortly. But is there anything you would like to say hello or, you know, because, you know, I imagine being in school, you guys remember whatever that experience was. <laughs> right. Oh, interesting. Because it's just ITC. It's just that it's the ITC. It's just ITC. Yeah, it's just the ITC. For those who are part of the Southern Soul family, I would like to, I, I guess I would do the introduction, right? The proud introduction of yeah, my please do. sister and friend, Sister Margaret <laughs> Conley. She is a phenomenal, phenomenal sister. She walks like a boss, talks like a boss, and also get your mind right together like a boss. Um, this is her it's her, it's always been her dream to just be able to help people in a new way. And she has been taking the globe um, for the last 10 um, years in social work and ministry of the black church, the black family. Um, and also she has attended Valdosta State University, Clark Atlanta, right down the street from the ITC and the ITC where we met up, where she got her master work, uh, master's in social work and also her master's of divinity. Um, I would just say, just hold on to your seat, get your, uh, you know, hold on to your seat, get your good popcorn, maybe a glass of wine and be able to realize that so you're going to learn a lot and also you're going to be able to heal after these conversations or at least get on the couch to heal. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Honor, Courtney. Courtney is a beast. Uh, honey, I know she got y'all right together. Courtney was good. Courtney made me thank missiology all day. She taught me so much. I love you, Courtney. You know, one of the most awesome things is that, you know, I love to connect with people and discover that these people, you know, have something in common, right? Because even um, with you, Margaret, when I first, you know, ran into you, you're at this conference, right? And, I, and you're just kind of doing your thing and I'm watching you present and I'm like, OMG, I never seen anyone break it down like that. Now, don't get me wrong. Margaret's like, child, please. I know people like Courtney, you know, she do this stuff too. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm talking about everyday people, right? For everyday people, one of her key slides, and I took a screenshot, a screenshot. And what it was is on the left, she had the scripture. And on the right, she had the, let's call it the DSM, the psychological, you know, scenario. And I just had an aha moment. I said, you know, what would the future of church be like if we not only took a scriptural look at things, but also a mental health perspective as well. And, you know, I, I pretty much bugged. I'm like, look here, Margaret, you got to be on the show. And this had to be like 30, 90 days ago. And she's like, what? You want me to do a show 90 days from now? And, and I know I'm that person, right? That book things 90 days. So I just appreciate that you didn't forget who we were and you remember who we were after we kind of track you down. And I just want to say thank you for being here tonight. I'm honored. I'm always honored to come and just do what I do. Uh, Courtney, like when Courtney met me, I was going at it. I thought we had a class and one of the classmates said something and all I, I was just spewing <laughs> the dancing. <laughs> um, and then we, it was a missiology class actually. And then we went out and we got to see, like it became tangible. And I think the next class we had with that brother, he was like, I'm so sorry. He said, I, did, I would never have put that together because his, his words, I was, he's like, people choose to be where they are. And I said, no, they don't. No, 
<laughs> people fall into and they don't know how to manage that on an emotional level. So they settle for. And so he was like, that doesn't make sense. When we went out and did our work, he came back. He was like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, um, I, I want to know more about that. And he ended up volunteering at, uh, at, at my job at the time. I worked at Atlanta City Detention Center. And he was like, oh, my God, I, I never thought Bible and mental health could work. Um, I, I didn't even see it. So that was almost 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Angle <Wow>. data. <laughs> well, well, tell me this, because, you know, for me, I, I think it's a good thing. What do you think the hang up is, this Bible and mental health thing? Do you think people just struggle with it? Or I mean, what, what's the dilemma there, you think? I just think in this, in, in regard to church, we, we've never been invited to take a deep look at our emotional wellness. And mental health became equivalent with mental illness. So there's nothing wrong with me. So why do I want to look at that? But we, we haven't until recent had an opportunity in Black church to realize that mental illness is not equivalent to the health of my emotions, um, which is hard because you told me for so long, I'm crazy. So if I'm not crazy, I don't know why I need to see a therapist. I don't know why I need to talk to you about my problems. I can just work through it. I can read my Bible. I can pray. I can fast. Um, but come to find out, no, my emotional state is, is a part of my overall health. And it doesn't mean that I'm crazy when I go and get that checkup. I, I can do some preventative med medicine with my mind if I go and see a therapist and it does not go against who I am in the body of Christ. Uh, we start to look and see, for me, I, I, start, I started looking at Christ. I started looking at the gospels. Um, and I looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and I started to see where even in the redactions and how they were formed, you found what Christ took care of his mental. Um, one of my favorite texts is Christ is sleeping in the bottom of a boat. We read that text as if he comes up out of that boat when they wake him up and being kind. Nah, if somebody woke you up when you had finally got a deep sleep, what would you do? He went ham. <laughs> and he's like, why, why couldn't you, why can't you use your own faith and do this? I'll sleep, you know, so that that was one of the first texts when I looked at it. I said, he was really saying, hey, let me take care of myself. Like, I've given you all of what you got to do it. And you waking me up for what? Um, you know, and I was like, oh, well, maybe that is how this looks. Um, you know, you come and you, you see throughout the text with Jesus is literally taking care of himself. And so Jesus, I, I always say Matthew 6, Jesus went on vacation. People laugh at me. But I mean, he's sitting there. The lady is hunting him down, um, you know, kill my child. And he like, nah, he got a dog, you know? <laughs> so, um, and I think Courtney preached that in class one time. And that's when I started looking at it from a mental health perspective. And I was like, he called a dog, but for real, if I'm on vacation, you trying to ask me to do something, man, get out of my face. He didn't, he didn't do anything for that woman. All he did was encourage her to go with her own faith. Cause that's what heals her child. Cause I'm on vacation. So when I started looking at it like that. I said, where else can I find self-care in this book um and i found it everywhere and so i just went with it and i was like no emotional wellness is, is a gift from god um you literally find it in the psalms that it's written that rest or care is a gift from god but it's in a, it's a psalm <laughs> and so i'm like oh um but it's something that we i think as a people didn't have access to there wasn't anything that was given to us um and when we were enslaved it wasn't given to us um, in that state of emancipation, 
And that's how I like to say it, um, as we had to keep fighting for freedom, as we still fight for freedom, that's something that, that we don't get a chance to hear is that rest or care is a gift from God. And so we should be doing that. Um, but when you think that care is equivalent to crazy, then you don't want to go get help. But nobody, that's not an invite for help. But hopefully we can change that thought tonight. Wow. You know, Courtney called it and you just took me on a whirlwind and I've had so many thoughts. And the thing that what you said that really, really gave me context is if you think about how African-Americans were introduced to the Bible, right? This context of rest, right? <laughs> it, it, it was not on the table for the context, right? But let's just go ahead and get into the questions, right? Have you always known that you wanted to do what you were going to do, right? What's your origin story? Were you like the little girl, you know, like Tina Turner at the church, you know, singing, you just knew you were going to do this thing? I mean, what's your story? So I have a really dear friend out here tonight. Uh, she's, she's my old roommate. We still say we roommate. And so she was laughing when we were doing trivia. Um, I don't know if I always knew I would be in this seat. But I always knew that I, I wanted to investigate behavior in Black community and Black church with biblical principle. Um, my orange, origin story, um, my parents, my father adopted me. He's the only father I knew. But he was heavy in Bible. Um, he was also a Vietnam vet. He, he also had issues with self, uh, self-soothing, using substance. He also, like, Black men in, in America in the 80s and 90s, right? So using substance. Um, working really hard, not getting cared for for fighting for this country. And so it, it took it out on community, took it out on family. Uh, and I wanted to know, because he would use Bible verses to do it. He was like, you know, David David cussed at the people he was working with. I can cuss you out. I'm like, is that in the Bible? I went and found it. So that's how I started like, investigating Bible. And I say investigating Bible because he would use a, a verse in a minute. Now, you know, you spat a ride, you spoiled a child. I was like, well, who's going to, somebody spoiling you? You know, so, so I started with that but I I was probably around 19 when I realized I I wanted to see black community and I want to see black church heal from these emotional wounds and it came from a push from my dad like why can't you heal we say prayer fix it Jesus will fix it we got all the songs that promised that that's what happened you pull out the text that say that Jesus is going to show up and do something but I'm confused on how my father still is is not able to emotionally stabilize i'm confused on how the church keeps inviting him to be unstable because he's black male and i'm i'm worried you know about what happens to children that come up like me like what happens when you tell a black female that she can't be something because this black male can't stabilize because prayer obviously isn't working that's not anywhere in the text by the way (laughs) but that's how it was coming from the pulpit because that's what we were taught over time um i mean i grew up in an area where you know, until until my childhood pastor 15 came into the church to carry a Bible. Now, you just wait. You got there on Sunday and pulled your Bible from the back of the pew <laughs> if mm-hmm. you want to do that. So and you trusted your pastor. And not to say that I love pastors. I think that they have a heavy weight um, on them because black community has lifted them beyond something that was even ordained. Um, and they have to carry that. And we'll probably get to that tonight. Cause they carry that weight and this expectation for them to be like almost a demigod. It's crazy. Cause they supposed to know it all be all. And it's, if they don't have, if they, it's if they are not human, they don't have their own humanity. 
what does that look like? And it spreads down. I think one of the worst things that led me to this path in life was to hear that we're a little bit lower than angels, so we should be able to maintain ourselves. And I'm like, what? Like, none of that makes sense. But I heard a pastor say that, but then I watched that pastor fall apart. And it was my collegiate pastor, literally fell apart because he didn't know, he didn't really know what to do. And he ended up in a mental health institution right after he preached that sermon, came back the next week. And he's like, I, I don't know how to maintain what I just told y'all last week. Well, I bet you don't. So for me, that was the push, the drive, because if we can rightly divide the text for real, we will find that we are offered care by God, but humanity is who we need to connect to. The formula of the Bible is this. I'm God, I created you. I give you everything you need to survive. Y'all need to connect with one another. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where God stepped down out of heaven to do anything, including Jesus, was wrapped in flesh and sent right down here as a human to assist. It's a huge indicator that we need each other. Wow. You know, I, I, I love that because, you know, I can see you, as you describe seeing these conflicts, seeing these things that just don't add up. But I think that's a cool story because it seems like it became your motivation to kind of dig a little deeper for the things that simply did not add up for you. Tell us about your specialty. Tell us about your passion, you know, for therapy. Like, what type of clients do you work with? So passion for therapy, truthfully, I don't have a passion for therapy. And people laugh at me every time I say it. Uh, I never desired to be a, a therapist. <laughs> I really just wanted to do crisis management and keep investigating how we use the Bible wrong. Um, and it led to a private practice. <laughs> and so uh, my clientele, um, primarily African-American, I work a lot with spiritual leaders. Um, not all of them are pastors, but most of them are pastors. Um, and a lot of them come quietly they don't they, that's not the first announcement they make when they get in my office it just usually leads there um because they read my website and they read faith-based trauma and they're like well what what is that i did not coin that term um it's few people that use it um but i said well faith-based trauma anything traumatic um is something that has stuck with you and you're replaying it and so they were like well i think i have that faith-based trauma thing it's like <laughs> website um and it comes from how faith has been damaging to them hmm. and so uh, most of my clientele are they, they are in the church or they are part of some um faith-based tradition and i probably say about 30 percent of my clientele are ministers or pastors um and uh, leaders in their faith tradition and so th that that my passion is actually helping them to heal more hmm. so than therapy um are using you know, whatever modality is to see what can we do to help them actualize who they are so that when they re-enter community, whatever that community may be, they can bring them in they can bring themselves them that entire part of who they are, their humanity, back to a pulpit, back to the bake sale, back to a car wash, back to whatever they need to, but they're able to announce to the people they lead, I am human. And that is the goal of my practice. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that, but you said therapy for the sake of therapy, you know, you like to see people heal. And I, I hadn't heard that before, but I can definitely see the difference. You mentioned the term faith-based trauma, and I looked up this word and it was just interesting to me. 
because it meant so much. And then I saw in certain neighborhoods it meant something else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, let's kind of talk about why we're here tonight. When religion leads to faith-based trauma, first of all, can you help us understand this term? What does that term even mean? So faith-based trauma is any traumatic event that has happened based upon your faith tradition. And that's my definition, how I defined it. Others define it. Um, they, they leave out the faith tradition. So that's what makes my little definition a little bit different. Um, but anything that has happened to you inside of your faith-based situation. So whether it's church, whether it's your mosque, whether um, you know it's your synagogue, whatever it may be, you got hurt in the church. Um, so for lack of a better term, church hurt. Um, but we don't like to say that because the church can't hurt you, but we're humans. And if we're not healed, guess what we're going to do? <laughs> Oh, hurt somebody else. So um, but that traumatic space stays and we replay it. Uh, the black church is one we don't like to face it. And so what happens is we set up a post-trauma situation. So um, because of that, you have a, a post-traumatic situation for individuals in the church, whether it be from some level of abuse, whether it be from some misunderstanding of the text and they have carried that with them. And so now they don't know how to get over that. And because of this, you replay. Are you flashback? Are you having intrusive thoughts about it? And it's based upon faith tradition, which is really hard for people to grasp. Um, a friend of mine, I love her, uh, Jennifer Baldwin. She's a new friend. I didn't realize she lived how close, how close she lived to me. So now I was like, no, you're my friend. But I was reading her books before. Um, she, she took it from a standpoint of looking at it from a trauma-sensitive theology. And so she literally went through the Bible and pulled out what could be traumatic. So Judges 19, if anybody knows their Bible, <laughs> we're not going to get into it tonight because I'm a therapist tonight. That is a very traumatic section. That's a very traumatic space in the Bible. But we will read it and preach it and move on. And we won't focus on the trauma that happened. And so what happens to women when they read that? It's okay for this to happen to me because we don't deal with what happened to the woman in the text. We deal with the aftermath. So she started to look at it from that point and said, we need to be sensitive about the trauma so that we can start to see our churches and our faith-based spaces to heal. Thus, she, she found the way to start looking at how to heal the faith-based trauma. Um, and so from that, I kind of coined how I work. And looking at it from the trauma happened. These are our trauma spots. We recall them, we replay them. But how can I be sensitive in how I use this text now in order to help people who they rely on it for their daily bread? Literally, this is what they live by. How can I help them heal from the very thing that's harming them? Well, I, I have to definitely check out that book because I like that um, concept. I've always, you know, loved the Bible and I, I love to kind of study it i don't know the story you're referring to so you have to remind me but i do know oh. that, <laughs> that, that, and we don't have to mention it because we don't want to trigger <laughs> nobody but i do know yeah. that there are certain passages that are simply hard to digest yeah. and it seems like they could be let's just say just easy to um preach in a way that can cause harm let's just say that you know they can easily be taken too far left, too far right, because they're already hard to digest. So all you need, I like the word you describe, a certain sensitivity yes. 
to how that message is created, how that message is shared. Because without that sensitivity, you just go on and you don't realize the trauma that you're triggering, recreating, or making a lot worse than it ever had to be. So, yes. What was that book? Jennifer Baldwin, you say? Jennifer Baldwin. Dr. Jennifer Baldwin. And the name of the book is uh, Trauma Sensitive Theology. Trauma Sensitive Theology. Tell us this. Um, how do believers identify faith-based trauma? I mean, let's let's get practical, right? You know, because I know from what I took earlier, you like certain things, uh, you know, taboo. You know, I'm not crazy. If you're crazy, you know, and it's like it's hard. But is, is there a way like maybe because you've seen patients with certain things, you've seen some themes, you've seen some, you know, because what I would anticipate if believers can better identify it, then maybe they can better speak up. If believers can be more aware that this thing is happening. So I don't want to oversimplify, but do you think there's some ways that believers can kind of help identify these things, even identified in their pastor and themselves? Yeah. So Paul gave us a gift. I'm not a fan of Paul, but that's the seminary in me. He gave us one gift that I love. He invited us to see ourselves as made as many members. So individually, we're made of these many parts as well. Um, Jennifer Obama's book is based on internal family systems. Um, it's a therapeutic modality that invites us to see ourselves in parts. And so what I invite a lot of my spiritual leaders to do is, is do this modality with me and put themselves literally in parts. First, they think I'm saying, I'm not crazy. I'm like, you, know, you won't be crazy after this either. Like you have a pastor part. You have a daddy part if you got kids. You have a husband part if you marry. You got a wife part if you marry. You got, you got a single part. I got a lot of single ministers to come in that single part. Like I'm just trying to live my best life. Cause I'm in my thirties, uh, <laughs> but I'm a pastor. Uh, and you telling me I can't, um, you, you got a parental part. If you got kids and you like, I really want to take my child, but I'm a pastor. So I got to sit here and like, ain't nothing going on, but it is, um, looking like Kurt Franklin a little bit. And I say that cause he was proud about it when he finally announced, you know, my son gave me hell. That's how y'all got great music for me. <laughs> <laughs> um my child you know so and i invite them to investigate those parts of themselves what are they doing these parts are protectors they either managing you or they putting you in a space where you can be distracted and what wound are they taking care of what's the traumatic space that those wounds are taking care of a lot of pastors got a lot of wounds they hadn't dealt with why because we told them they couldn't you got to be healed in order to get ordained. What does ordination look like? For some of us, is you go get three years of divinity school and you come out acting like the Lord healed you, knowing that class really screwed you up and you got to act like stuff didn't happen. And for some of us, if you preach your initial sermon and you get that license, then you're healed. No, you're not. Nothing happened except for you got paper and somebody signed off on you because you sound good and you, and you can lead the people where they need to go and you know how to collect a good offering. But nobody bothered to ask you, were you in pain or are you hurting? So how do you get to that? How do you get to it is how do I take care of that wound? Uh, Dr. Richard Swartz, who created uh, internal family systems, says, how do I get to that exile? How do I get to that part I had to hide? And what is it trying to say? And what we find for the people who end up coming to me is they didn't have to go find the wound. It popped up on them. Guess what? I'm cheating on my wife. I'm cheating on my spouse, rather. And I don't really want to cheat on her, but I can't get this need met. Or uh, I'm drinking and I'm smoking but I don't know how to heal. So I don't know what this is. Or I'm using, I'm using the coping tactic that I used when I was a kid. 
and I'm 40 years old, but it made me feel better when I was 16, you know, so because that 16 year old is wounded, let's work on it. So if we can get to those spaces, thank you, Paul, for inviting us to see ourselves made as many members. You got different parts of you. And just because one part is functioning well, it's probably another part that's not. And we have to invite ourselves to align those parts, right? That's what Paul invites us to do. How do we bring those into alignment? We have to speak to them. We have to look at them and we have to talk to those wounded spaces in order to heal. Um, and it, if spiritual leaders and if congregations can do that, but if spiritual leaders do it, guess what they do? They end up inviting congregations to do it, families to do it, individuals to do it. And you start to watch a healed congregation in a healing congregation. How amazing is that when you start to see how that turns into something beautiful and it starts to now heal communities. Again, the goal is how do I get you to actualize who you are and transcend that back into your community healthy, announcing your humanity, not being afraid of it. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I, I don't typically I summarize and recall. I'm not going to do anything now other than thank you. Tell me this. We may have already said it, but I'm thinking about this other concept that we can kind of break down. Thank you for breaking it down, because that's what you did. Spirituality, emotional wellness. I'm kind of thinking about what, I like this phrase, what does good look like? Mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, um, you know, you have this, you know, pastor, this, 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 this leader who comes to see you, they go back into their community and they now have this awareness of spirituality and emotional wellness. How, what does that look like? Did, did you say, you know, maybe they publicly or some kind of way deal with it themselves and then they teach their congregation? Like, what does that look like, a congregation that deals with spirituality and emotional wellness? To me, it's almost like, not scary, but it's almost like, how would that even look, right? Any thoughts, any suggestions? Well, it, it looks like a congregation that wants to heal. They look healthy. So they embrace their humanity. The, the pastor is able to announce, I'm human and I'm taking two weeks off. Not, I'm taking two weeks off, don't call me. You hear the difference? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. the announcement of, I'm human, I'm taking two weeks off, the people immediately know not to call you because they're walking in their own healing space. Guess what? I got leadership here that can manage that. It didn't have to be that big because I want you to be emotionally well. I don't want you to spew on me from the pulpit. But pastors in that level of leadership have to set that up but they're not taught that. What they're taught is you bear the weight of the people. That's not biblical. Mm. The word says in the Old Testament and the New Testament, cast your cares upon God. Because God cares about that. It's not say cast your cares upon your pastor because your pastor may not care about that. So, <laughs> and, they, and so pastors are taught to carry this weight. And then what do we do? We have an ill pastor. It goes from emotional illness, and then we start having somatic or physical response to the emotion. So here we come with heart palpitations and come to find out it's a panic attack because I don't know how to deal with the weight of the people when it was never offered for pastors and leaders to take it, ever. So you look like a congregation is healing. Two, it looks like a beautiful invite for you as a leader to refer out. I have about two pastors that I've worked with and they're so happy that they learned to refer out. I am not a therapist. I hear what you're saying, daughter. I hear what you're saying, son. But let me give you the number to this person because wow. that's their specialty. And they have no shame in it because they've actualized who they are. 
they've literally realized I don't belong in that space and I'm fine with that because I love me here and they know how to hold themselves in their regard. I'm a pastor. I can take care of your spiritual because that's what I know. But what I can't do is take care of your mental and emotional. Let me refer you to this person and you watch a congregation heal because the pastor quits taking on the weight of the people knowing they don't have a real answer. And they quit saying, if we pray about it, they stop. They're like, you know what, we can pray. But what I can tell you to do is to go see this person over here. And they can help you even more. And watch God work through that. That looks like healing. And it looks like an understanding of how to operate from that internal family to the external members and how to see how we are building community versus saying that we are the builders of it alone. Again, that text in Psalms, it says, rest is a gift it literally says if you started the building gotta finish it but you gotta work as a community you gotta know how to take rest rest looks like refer out awesome you know you you took me there i I grew up in that church on the hill the church on the hill that didn't have any hymnals my cousin (laughs) here tonight and i didn't learn how to sing a single gospel anything till i was about 25 years old because everybody in the church had it memorized and i was just sitting there rocking home I, i didn't know nothing right so I've learned to appreciate white churches because they had hymn books or what other churches. But what you took me to is my experience in that church on the hill. And in that church on the hill is when we know the pastor not going to be there, guess what we do? We don't show up. I ain't going to church. You know, they're going to have some guest pastor there, right? And I see the burden and the pressure we put on that pastor where he can't even be human. So in your example you give me is that we can start with the pastor's. We can start with allowing the pastors to be human. We can start with the pastors beginning to operate in a human way, especially when they know it is not their expertise. They haven't touched the DSM. They don't know what a DSM. And for people who know, since we mentioned the term earlier, it's a huge encyclopedia of psychological illnesses and everything that has anything that you... That you ever, 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 ever want to know about whatever you want to know, you got it. Pull up on that book and it'll put you to sleep. And by the time you'll be healed. But anyway, excuse me, I'm being silly. But the DSM, they never touched the book, right? So how humble would that be to do what you just said is they refer out because they know that that situation is beyond what they are qualified to do or to touch. We're going to wrap up and get ready audience for some questions but let's talk about this and i think we've already went there but i got two questions for you i'm going to combine them the future of the black church and what that would look like two tell the audience how they can connect with you are you accepting new clients you know where you're located where you're you know licensed to practice and things like that but tell us you know if you had to kind of provide input on what the future of the black church look like would it involve someone like you on staff? Would it involve pastors that refer out? What would that look like? And tell people where they can find you. And for the audience, get your questions ready because we're going to get a chance to ask whatever questions you want. And if you're a little shy, feel free to type it in and we'll have somebody read it for you. But before we go there, get your questions right. But please, what would you tell us about that, uh, Margaret? The future of the Black that- Church and how can the people find you? I don't think the Black Church is dead. I think she will die if we don't start to take care of her physically, emotionally, socially, how we connecting. 
and spiritually. Like we don't start to take care of black church in the totality of that, then we're giving her permission to die. I don't think I don't I don't think black church in its essence wants to go. It's it's still a safe haven in my opinion. It's still a place where we go. But we 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 have become so sick in the need to be great that we've missed the reason for the formation of the black church. Um, man, rest his soul. Dr. Love Henry Welchel, he said that in class one night and I, I took that and put it in my, I embedded that in my heart. He said that the black church can remember why she was formed and she won't die because she will remember that she was created to heal. She is the only entity in the world that will take anybody. And she's the only entity in the world that will allow anybody to heal. She is like the Good Samaritan. Because everybody will walk over that hurt person but the Black church and will do what she can to process and begin the healing space. And when he said that one night, I, I mean, I cried because I was like, God, that's, that's, that's the truth. So, But we have to give the Black church her space to heal. What does that look like? It looks like continuing to assess what she needs. You got to take care of a ship. I don't know any ship that you build it and they don't go out and, and and take care of it and maintain it. And then I say any ship, a relationship, a boat, <laughs> you know, your work, your workmanship, like whatever ship, you gotta take care of it and, and do well by her. Um, the other thing is everything that is agency grows. That lets us know that it's healthy. So the black church, one needs to relook at its formation, its foundation, and what has grown on it. So keeping it the same old way, again, is not biblical. We are invited not to do that. Like there's nothing new under the sun, but we're also invited to grow and move every round. Keep going because we're supposed to grow with that. Life is a cycle. Cycling isn't bad when the cycle is moving you up. And so if it's causing you to grow, because we see that there are four seasons. So what do we do? We don't just repeat them and nothing happens. There's change that happens in each one. So we have to honor the growth of the Black church. I do believe that the Black church eventually will need to have staff that are trained and that are licensed in clinical fashions. I've only seen one Black entity in America, one, that understood that clinically they had a medical unit, they had a emotional wellness unit. One, that's Dr. Yvette Flunder in Oakland, California. One, I'm not saying, no, she, in her church, she has a medical center. She has a emotional wellness center and she has two clinical directors. I want, if y'all can grasp that when you hear it, that's two different things. She understands that the physical and the mental are two spaces that need to be separate for the people. And then it's communal. It's, a, it's open for the community. And then she has the church separate. It's all in the same space, but the church is separate. And she does not try to be the doctor on staff and the therapist on staff. She is their pastor. And whenever they need mental health or physical health, she sends them to the doctor and she sends them to the licensed clinical social worker. Cause that's who you need to see. You don't need to see Bishop today because I can't help you here. I'm going to send you here. And if there's a social issue, because she is all about social justice, but if she can't manage it, guess what? She sends them to a social justice minister. She takes care of it. Hmm. And if we can find a way to maneuver the church in a space where we are able to take care of our physical, 
our emotional, our social, and our spiritual, and know that these are parts of us and they need to be taken care of, then the Black church, not only will she survive, but she will begin to thrive and move beyond anything that people have designed for her to fail. She will survive and do well and be on top. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, great. Where can people yeah, oh. find you? Um, what type of, we talked about the type of um, patients you see, you see pastors, you see leaders, you see church members. You said they come to you sometimes quietly and we won't get into that. We'll leave that for discussion, <laughs> but you know, I know you're in Georgia, you're licensed in Georgia. Um, I'm sure you do virtual sessions, but, um, what type of patients can you see and how do people find you? So people can find me at my website. And that's www.mlcconsultingllc.com. And they can find me on social media and Instagram is mending underscore life underscore concepts. And they can also find me on Facebook up under Margaret L. Cunley, LCSW MDiv. Um, they can find me that way. I'm also licensed in Alabama and Tennessee. So I'm licensed in Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. And so um, if you need to find me, you can. Uh, and I am, I'm taking particular clients. So I'm working in my specialty. I do have two other clinicians on staff in my practice that are also taking new um, clients. Uh, but I am taking um, individuals who are needing um, help around faith-based trauma at this time. Awesome, awesome. And Tamika put your website in the chat and she's also quick so she's already found your facebook really? and for the people this is gonna show it's going to be published in a couple weeks so you'll be able to listen to it on repeat and also since she vocally stated then you guys will get that in recording so Tamika is going to put the instagram also um um the facebook which well, i did the facebook she'll do the instagram she already did your website so let's go to the audience what do you got? And K Boogie, you know, he had already took us to church, so we're curious about what K Boogie gonna play for us tonight. If y'all got here a little late, K Boogie already went back to the 80s. Y'all know gospel music was something else in the 80s, so we're gonna see what K Boogie got for us. But before we go there, let's hear from the audience. What questions do we have? I have a question that was sent to me anonymously. Okay. Um, so what about homosexuality is what the bible says about it is conflicting is the current world view on it right love is love no condemnation there's faith-based trauma that comes from the church in this viewpoint and that's the basis of that question wow you jumped out with the hard trigger question now margaret it's up to you if you want to answer that oh, question, I want to answer that's this a hard one, one. but, but so, you ready yeah. Yeah, I want to answer it. So for all okay. of my people who have not been to seminary, they're going to they gonna be hurt when I get this answer. You're not going to find homosexuality in the westernized view in the Bible ever. You're not going to find it. You can debate me. You can call me. I, I will give you my phone number and let you call me tonight. And I'm going to say, nope, that's not homosexuality. And nope, that's not homosexuality. The reason I'm saying that is because we have to understand that Hebrew Bible, which is Old Testament, was written in its literal. So when it says what it says, it says what it says. And then for our New Testament, which was written in Greek, then we need to understand the Greek meaning behind that and understand the cultural context behind why that was written. And so what we have taken, though, again, Black church, this is what we were taught. I had to also remind myself, we were taught this to be enslaved. 
So they gave us particular scriptures and said, this is how I'm going to trap your mind. We have to study it though. So there's this studying to show ourselves approved so we won't be ashamed of it. So the worldview of love is love. I think that also may be taken out of context because what because love is love. Love is also damaging. My domestic violence, people will tell you in a minute, I love them, but they I'm different colors today because you keep hitting me. Um, so love is love may need to be defined. But as far as a human being loving another human being, I, I don't see anything wrong with that because I don't see any condemnation or any spaces in Bible that's condemning that love and care for another human um i won't get into it tonight but you even find a a crazy love story between two individuals in the bible the preachers don't like to preach they skip right over it but you watch how this person not only did he have a disruptive childhood but he also had a disruptive love life that led to a disruption throughout a kingdom in his own children um but he was a man after god's own heart so how do you manage that so that question the way we understand homosexuality in westernized church that means in america is not in the bible but we take that and condemn people because we don't want to we just don't want to face it and talk about what does this look like in the church like how, how do we manage these two people loving one another and how do we explain it since it has been demonized for centuries by people who enslaved us and if we could have that conversation that, that'd be a great conversation to have at somebody's church because that's what happened Hey, um, what else we got next? I, I, I got a question that's going to transition. Something soft. Thank you, Margaret, for handling that. While you guys get the rest of your, um, I didn't get a chance to use my new fancy button tonight. So typically when I go to questions, nobody says anything. So <laughs> I, I get to use that button. Did y'all hear that? Yeah. Okay. Did it work? I got it. Yes, it worked. Okay. I'm proud of that button right now. It's my crickets, right? So anyway, <laughs> so. But we got several question. questions tonight. Oh, we got several questions tonight, so I don't have to make up questions. No. Okay. Well, go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll keep my icebreaker questions for later. What what other questions? All right. You got? So the next one is: Does attendance reflect a strong church, or does dwindling attendance reflect that church is wounded? Hmm. I like that question. So I don't think attendance reflects a strong church at all. I think attendance reflects popularity. Uh. Do you like your pastor? Do you like what they sound like? And are you gonna come? The reason I say that is because if the pastor's not there, then what do we see doing the attendance? Like, oh, I came to hear Courtney today. Oh, and Bob is preaching. Well, then I'm going to the church down the street <laughs> because I came to hear Courtney. <laughs> I mean, that's what you see in attendance. On the other hand, the second half of that question was beautiful. I think if we paid attention to attendance and what it, who is in the church, we would give assessment to what wound is here and how that's going to spread through the church. You have a lot of people that come wounded, but we don't pay attention to the wound because they have a particular skill set that can grow your church. And so I'm not going to take care of your wound, but you got marketing skills that's going to grow the church. But then they, it, it, the church becomes infected by the marketing skills because we didn't deal with the wound. They fighting each other. So you can have a very large church that's chaotic because you have a wounded person running particular ministries. The numbers are huge, but the people are wounded. So in order to know that, check on the vitality of your membership or your partnership, check on their wounds. I invite every senior pastor to invite their staff to sit with them and see what they need and if they need to be referred out. And you will watch attendance become steady and then growth will be healthy. Versus, I just want large numbers because you don't know what's wounded in those large numbers. 
Awesome. Awesome. I, I have a question. I have a question. Go ahead, K Boogie. Like all, a lot of us grew up in the church, especially, you know, as a as a child. How do we protect children from getting from being hurt in the church and growing up with their hurt? How do we protect them? So I say this, hey, start out with the children that you can touch. Um it's it's about seven of us. I think my friend's still on here. She throw a thumbs up. It's about seven of us. We were wounded in our home church. I mean, wounds. Um, and we all committed at one point to work with the next generation, so that they could so that they could recognize our wounds, which means we had to be vulnerable with them. We were hurt here, and then they could start to see the wound pattern coming toward them. Those children are thriving. I don't know, not one of those kids. They're all in their late 20s now. I don't know now one of those kids that has not become successful. When I mean successful, like licensed clinical social workers, owning their own businesses, starting community hubs that take care of our community, like running voters registration campaigns and feeding the home homeless. I mean, these kids did all of that. And it wasn't that they did not get wounded. Let's be clear. You can't stop humans from getting wounded because that's going to happen. Some of those are building blocks to help us grow. Uh, two of the kids, their father died like when they were children. Both of those children are successful and the daughter followed in his footsteps and that works for one of, one of the largest um, IT corporations in the world. Like, but the womb, we had, we had to sit with them and not tell them not to hurt. No, but embrace your hurt, baby, and see how you grow. What have they done? They now have taken care of the generation up under them and they know how to embrace the pain, but they're not getting openly hurt by people because they're keeping quiet. So one, to answer that, I gave a long answer to it, okay, Boogie, is A, be vulnerable with your children. This happened to me. You don't have to give them all the details because their ears may be too young for that, but don't lie to them and say, Jesus will fix it. Jesus may not have fixed it for you because it might've been something you had to go through for testimony so that they could walk through their healing. So be vulnerable. And then protection looks like, I know you're going to get hurt, but I'm going to stop what I can. Not I'm going to block everything from coming because then they won't know how to manage humanity in their life. But you know, they know you got their back. So vulnerability and being a support for them is how you, you stop that trend of children being hurt in the church. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. What else you got, Tamika? Um, let's see. The summer asked, do you think people who regularly attend church are less likely to suffer from depression than those that don't? Well, I have to answer that question. These are all the questions that came to me. This is what I don't want to answer. At all. I don't want to answer it at all. Because that's not, the, that's not the statistics that I have found. So what I have found is that there are more people that are depressed in the church. Um because of what we're asking them to do with their emotional stability. We're asking them to forget it. Listen to all of our recent songs. Like, I love Maverick City. Please don't get me wrong. Like, I love them. I listen to them every day. But at the end of the day, you're telling me to forget about the wound, forget about the wound, and trust in Jesus. I can't because it's a wound. It's festering. So instead of saying, be vulnerable about your pain, <laughs> and let's see what we can do to help you heal, you're telling people to forget it. So there's where the depression is sit. I can't get rid of this. So now I'm low. I'm depressed. This is pressing me. And I'm oppressed because of it. And so here's that high, 
had that, that low space that amps up to a high anxiety because now I don't look like how everybody else walking around heel because again we're not vulnerable so I can't say you know the facts around that if you go to church you're less depressed I think if you go to church you get hyped up on Sunday sometimes and you feel good after service but I don't know how you manage between Monday and Wednesday or Monday and Tuesday and then how you get back to Sunday because we're not inviting people to be vulnerable about their wounds um, and to heal. Like he healing requires it to be open and then to scab. And what we invite people to do is act like it's not there. And that will cause gain green. You will lose a limb versus gaining skin. It's healthy. Awesome, awesome, thank you. So I'm gonna throw in my question. It'd be the last question to me unless you have another one. So we've been talking about the black church tonight. And you know, one thing I've discovered is that in certain circles, people know exactly what that is. In certain circles, people are like, huh, why the church gotta be black? Does anybody, Dr. Courtney uh, or um, Margaret, do you guys wanna address the topic of what the black church means? Because, you know, I've seen people get, especially let's say my friends from Jamaica or other countries, they're like, what? You know, isn't um, the church for everybody and whatever? It's they don't have the context, right? Who, who wants to take a stab at that, Doctor Courtney, Margaret? Um, what is this whole thing of the black church, and why does it even matter? Look, this is what I'm gonna do, Courtney. I'm gonna take my little bitty stab because it's so little. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying this because when I say court, when I say Courtney is like the urban theologian of the world. Like when I say she taught me all about that because I was confused. I was like, I don't know either. When she first met me, I looked lost. And when I say she walked me through it, so I'm going to give the big answer, but I'm going to give my little bitty answer. Um, the black church was built for our safety and healing from spaces where we continually got hurt. The black church exists for healing and safety. What we have done is try to collaborate the black church and what it is into a space of we don't need this space anymore because now we're free. But the question is, are we really free? Or do we still need this space where we, this is the only culture space we have? Like, because we have a lot of, we have a lot of retention. But Black people, we, we, we didn't get to bring a lot of stuff over on the boat. They stripped us of that. And so Black church is the only place where we can be in rhythm and beat with one another. And it's not awkward. That's where our healing is. And so that's my little piece. Courtney, though, is a master of this. So she's going to give a wonderful answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Dr. Courtney, what you got for us? I have no answer. That was the big answer. That was Miss Margaret just gave y'all the big answer. Um, but it's still relevant and still important for us to remain as the Black church because of the fact of just what she said. Are we really free as Black people across the spectrum? It's very known that even where I serve in, you know, or even where Margaret serves or where many of people who are in, in the uh, Deep South, even on a Sunday morning, a sun, uh, basically is the most segregated, uh, 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America, especially when it comes to church. There's still black church, there's still white church, there's still Mexican church, there's still everybody's church. Because of the fact of the matter is, is that we still need a place to go. We still need a place to heal. We still need a place to get out our frustrations because of the fact of the matter, because the fact of the matter is on Monday morning, just like she says, we don't get seats at the table. Just like on Tuesday morning, we won't ever hear, we like the spaces of where we get in rhythm on Sunday, we don't get those opportunities again until we meet again on Sunday morning. And just for the fact of, of the power of the Black church, that even on today, at the, um, um, a, uh, uh, wait, in what, Georgia, in your area, um, Margaret, 100 Black, uh, about 500 Black pastors got together 
on the grounds of where the um, Amart, um Aubrey Trail going, um, mm -hmm. going on because of one person, one one little one little ignorant person. I'm going to lay low on that one. I really want to say something, but I'm saying hallelujah. Yes, um, one one ignorant trial lawyer. Um, decided to say that they didn't what was felt so uh, intimidated about one black pastor sitting in the room and told America like, look, we don't want no more nigga pastors. Excuse that's, that, that's what he said. You know, he said we don't want no more black pastors coming to <laughs> you know coming to 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 the space of where the trial is. Well, wait a minute. When 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 did we become so intimidating as black people or as black pastors to come and to see about our own? Because if we was not there, what would be the turn? What would be the end result? Mm. We don't My get God. justice in hey. no shape, way, or form. So if we don't show up, if we don't if we don't look the part, if we don't even even if we aren't being the part, if we don't look the part, people still won't respect us. So of course the black church is relevant and necessary. Yeah, also. relevant, necessary. And I, I mean, Kevin, I know we gotta go, but the, I love to piggyback. This is what preachers really do, we piggyback. <laughs> when you have 500 pastors that can come together for one thing, the, the black church has forgotten its power in my mind because we want to look like something else. But the fact that we can take feet and hand and create an entire situation that 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 literally shakes the earth, which is what 500 pastors did today. You just out there holding hands and singing hymns, and you scared America. CNN is out there like, look, <laughs> you scared America. What? That's the same power we had to to move us from being enslaved, to move us from Jim Crow, to move us from Black Code, to move us from. We still doing. That's the Black Church. Amen. The Black Church is not some eloquent, sweet song that sounds great in the background. No, we in the front and we're here because the violent take it by force. We're not, I'm not saying that we are violent people. What I'm saying is the thunder in our voice can shift the entire world. It's done it before and it's doing it now and it's gonna do it again. And that is the power of the black church. Awesome, awesome. I love it. What a good way to exit. K Boogie, what you got for us? Dr. Courtney, tell people where they can find you because you've been speaking. I want people to be just, if you don't mind, just introducing yourself, let them know what you do because you've been here a couple weeks and people still like, who Dr. Courtney, right? You mind saying, you know, hello? And, and before I, you go, Dr. Courtney, I just want to say, Margaret, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving and covering this. This, this is a hard topic, right? But what better place to cover a hard topic than that Southern soul? Because this is what we do. Week after week for some 40 plus weeks, we're covering the hard topics, the things that people don't want to talk about, afraid to talk about, afraid to say they don't know. And I am thankful, Margaret, that you've been here today to help us get through this conversation. So I thank God for you. And Kate Boogie got some for us. But before we do that, Dr. Courtney, um, do you mind letting people know who you are, what you do, and where they can find you? Okay, I'll give a 30-second spill. My name is the Reverend Dr. Courtney Colton. I am the Senior Pastor of the Historic St. James AME Church of Abbeville, South Carolina. You can find me on all social media platforms. Just find Courtney Colton or Courtney Chronicles by Twitter. Um, and I'll be definitely glad to reach out to you. Um, we're all about reconciliation and also getting back into the um, spirit of the foundation of who we are as the black church and also making sure that we all walk together children. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Courtney.
Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.